Hello and welcome to Women in Product Marketing. I'm your host, Mary Sheehan from Adobe, and this week I have the pleasure of sitting down with Trisha Gelman, the CMO of Drift. Trisha shares her journey on becoming a CMO via the PMM path. And as you'll hear, it wasn't quite linear. It's what she calls more of a jungle gym path. It's really interesting to see how her blend of curiosity and desire to solve problems throughout her career landed her in an amazing spot, a three-time CMO, in fact. Impressively, she just had a baby girl, and when I was interviewing her, it was her first week back at the job after maternity leave. She had an unconventional path to having a child, and her powerful story is linked to the show notes, which I recommend everyone check out. Trisha is also the host of CMO Conversations with Trisha Gelman, an awesome podcast to hear conversations between some of the best CMOs out there. Women in Product Marketing is proudly supported by Clue. That's Clue with a K, the competitive enablement platform for all product marketers. And this podcast is produced by Sharebird, the peer mentoring platform for product marketers. It is the place to help you discover on-demand resources to help you with product marketing. Please subscribe, share with someone you think will love it, and give us a rating or a review while you're at it. Now a word from our partners at Clue. Meet Jen. She's selling her division's product to a savvy new prospect. And unfortunately for Jen, she's about to get blindsided. So that sounds great, uh, but your competitor just launched something very similar. Uh, How do you compare? Jen needs to move fast. With a few taps, she leverages up-to-date intel her product marketing team has curated with Clue. Later in the show, we'll hear more on how Clue helps reps like Jen win deals every day. Learn more at clue.com slash Mary. All right, let's do this. Hi, everyone. I am pleased today to get the chance to speak with Trisha Gelman, the CMO of Drift, a revenue acceleration platform. Trisha has had an amazing career at companies big and small, including Adobe, Salesforce, and just prior to Drift was the CMO at Checker, a background checking company. She has had a proven track record working cross-functionally to drive change, leading teams, launching products, and managing relationships. And she's also hiring. So we're really excited to dig in with her today about her experience paving the way to CMO via the PMM path. Welcome, Trisha. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And you know, I love to start every episode with a question of what have you learned lately? So can you tell us a little bit about something you might have learned? Yeah, well, um, I'm glad to be here today. But honestly, this week's been very overwhelming because I just got back from maternity leave. And since I started my career, I don't think I've really checked out for four months ever. I mean, I literally turned off my email, my Slack notifications, everything. So this week has been pretty overwhelming and I'm really learning how to be a CMO and a mom. I have a whole new set of respect and really looking at like how to be compassionate in leadership, given what people are juggling every single day. And then I'm also really honing in on how do I set my boundaries and really ruthlessly prioritize what it is that you do every day just to make this work. Well, that's amazing. And I'm really touched that you decided to spend some of the time this week with us at Women in Product Marketing. Thank you. I know how much 
it means to everyone that's listening and to just be able to take the time to do that. So thank you. And we'd love to hear more about your journey as you continue and learning the CMO and mom together. So please keep us posted. I posted one thing this week on LinkedIn and I think, you know, I recently posted a story in Business Insider I'm happy to share the link to the ungated Google version for anyone who wants it. But when I started talking about our journey to have our child, it was so positively received that I really started to realize in this whole idea of compassionate leadership and empathy and sharing that using LinkedIn even, which is a business forum to talk about my story is really impactful. And so I posted about, you know, finding the time to feed my baby and having messy hair and everything else. And so I'm starting to use my LinkedIn as a way to not just talk about the typical things that I'm talking about as a CMO, but also about this being a mom and having a senior leadership role. That's so awesome. All right. Well, everyone make sure you follow Trisha on LinkedIn and we'll make sure that link to that article gets in the show notes too. So thank you so much for that. Well, let's talk a little bit about your role, your role at Drift. I'd love to hear how you got here, what you do, all all those goodies. Yeah. So I'm the CMO of Drift, which is the leading revenue acceleration platform, which you said, but people probably like, what is that? Because we created a whole new category in August. Um, Excited about Drift and I joined it because really what we're doing is we're helping companies deliver revenue faster through the combination of world-class conversational marketing and conversational sales. And I'm a really big believer that the CMO has to have a seat at the table for revenue, that it's not marketing as sort of the fluffy marketing, let's say of five to 10 years ago but it's a seat at the table in driving the business. And what Drift is helping people do is really rethink how sales and marketing work together. So it's much more seamless and it engages with people in a much faster, more real-time way so that you can have a better experience. And it just turns out that with COVID, everyone's realized, oh crap, we don't have a lot of ways to engage with customers and prospects. And the website has become a much more important location for that. And so at Drift, I'm responsible for helping people realize that there is an alternative way to do your marketing, to do your sales. And it's not just COVID, but it's really the way the world has evolved with e-commerce and the way that people use B2B and personalization and social that has really said, like, why is it that we're doing marketing and sales the same way that we did 10 to 15 years ago? And I've noticed that as a theme in other CMOs and product marketers that I've been talking to as well, that it's not just about the marketing KPIs anymore. It's actually, how are you impacting revenue and the bottom line for your business? So that's really great to see that that is something that you've really espoused in your career. And that also you work for a company that's helping marketers achieve those goals too. That must be a great pairing to have. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's one of the reasons that I joined Drift. I mean, I wasn't looking to leave my role at Checker. Checker was growing at 200%, but I really believe that if you can work somewhere that you have a passion about the products, then you can obviously be a lot happier, but also do a much better job. And so I am really passionate about this combination of sales and marketing, this idea of conversational engagement and like real-time engagement with people because who wants to go to a website, fill in a form, and especially today, get a phone call from some random phone number. I mean, you're not going to answer it at all. So if you can engage in real time, that has a lot more impact. Absolutely. And I'd love to hear more about how you got to be CMO of Drift. Can you talk a little bit about your journey over the last few years? And I know you have had many hats, product marketing being one of them, but if you could give us a little bit more insight, that would be lovely. 
Yeah, I think people always comment on my path because it isn't what people call just a linear path up a ladder. It's more what I call the jungle gym path. And when I graduated from high school, I thought for sure I wanted to be in graphic design because that was a thing that I saw was really centered around problem solving. I've always been super curious and always wanted to help people solve problems. And it just turned out that when I graduated college with my degree in graphic design, the entire industry was moving digital. And so I really embraced this move to digital back then, which got me to a place where I was actually working at Apple. I was hired to help Apple grow into the graphic design community and prove to them that you could move off of paper and boards to a digital world. And that was before Steve Jobs was back and before we had color computers before, I mean, it was... I'm antiquating myself, but it was old school times in the Valley. And when I got there, I was hired to be an evangelist. And that was a cool job where you went out and you met with people and you kind of pitched them on like the future and the potential of Apple and everything else. But the company wasn't doing great. So every three to six months, they would reorganize. And I was at the company two months and then they reorganized and they told me I was in marketing and I never meant to be in marketing. I went from being a graphic designer to this evangelist role for designers and I went home and I cried. And I didn't think that marketing really had much seat at the table. And I didn't think that it was a high impact role because in my mind, it was kind of more like Mad Men where you had like the women being stuffed in the corner and like the guys smoking cigarettes and you're just like talking about billboard ads or something. And so that was really uh, the first thing I did. And since then, I've really seen that marketing can be so strategic. It is about solving big problems. And I think you know, as marketers today, it's super important to look at the full life cycle. So like, what is that first touch with the customer all the way through to onboarding, advocacy, cross-sell, upsell? Like, I mean, we have a really big role to play and we've seen that in spades in COVID because it costs so much to get a new customer that if you don't invest the time afterward to really retain that customer, then you're just like, it's a leaky funnel. And then also on the brand, I think people used to think the brand was just these billboards, but now the brand is your experience with the product, your experience on the website, your experience in recruiting and interviewing. And so as marketers, we get to play a really big role across, you know, all of these pieces. It ended up being very fortuitous then that you got this, (laughs) this role. That's really cool. Yeah. After, after Apple, can you talk us through how you got eventually into the product marketing world? Yeah. So at Apple, I was in marketing and it wasn't corporate marketing. So I guess technically I ended up in product marketing, but it wasn't really called that. And I was always interfacing with the people at Adobe. And so I realized that I couldn't succeed in my own mind if I was being reorganized into what I was doing every three months. And so I took the leap over to Adobe and I ended up in product marketing. And I was actually in the OEM part of the business, which is like where the company was started with PostScript. And that was um, really the product marketing organization. And at Adobe at the time, product marketing was basically the GM for the business. Like you had responsibility for like, what was the strategy? How did you work with product management on what the product was? How did you work with the regions on how did it roll out? You had the budget. And so it was like the central PNL almost for the business. And I realized then that 
product marketing touches everything in the company. We worked with like, you know, the PL on like, what is the cost and what are we doing in terms of like the cogs for the product? And then we worked with the, you know, the brand team in terms of like, what are our advertising and how do we go work with Goodby Sil- Silverstein to, you know, do the big ads that we're going to put out and things like that. And so to me, that was really cool. And I kind of got hooked on that ability to, to touch all the pieces because I felt like it had the most impact. When I left Adobe, I left Adobe because they had no cloud strategy in 2006. And I didn't think I personally could survive in my career being a person who only marketed shrink wrap boxes. And so I went to a company called Live Books, which was doing cloud-based software for photographers, but had the potential to do and take that software to like all small businesses. And the company was 12 people when I joined. And so then I was the VP of marketing and I kind of took my well-rounded experience of being sort of the marketing leader on a PL to this startup. And I even owned product management there. But then I learned there that, you know, every company at a series A-ish or even before that type timeframe doesn't even with a great idea have like the opportunity to grow. And I really wanted to continue to grow in cloud. And I mean, the pinnacle of cloud at the time was Salesforce. And so I moved over to Salesforce, which was great because I also in my career was being pigeoned as a person who only could do creative as an industry and where you marketed. And I wanted to be a person who people perceived as also doing enterprise. And so that was a great fit for me. And I did go into product marketing at Salesforce. And I actually went back to a director level title And the reason I did that was because one, I just wanted to get in and really change the trajectory of my career on that sort of enterprise, bigger company potential. But two, I was going through divorce and I didn't feel like I could be the VP who was in charge of everyone else's careers and my own career. And I felt like I needed to, you know, keep learning, keep growing, but not be kind of under the microscope as much. That's totally fair. And I feel like those life decisions really weigh into job decisions in so many ways, especially for women. So thank you for sharing that personal note and why you might've gone, you know, back and forth and not opted for a VP title. The director track seems like it made more fit. Yeah. I mean, I think it was great. And I, I also felt like, I mean, looking back on it, obviously it's like, holy cow, of course, Salesforce is great. I mean, especially if you live in the Bay area, you're like, yeah, that's a no brainer. But at the time, I mean, Salesforce was good, but it wasn't a great, great company. Like it was still on the uppity up. And I felt like the way that Salesforce was organized, it felt like it was a 400 person startup, even though when I joined, it was a 1600 person company. And so to me, it wasn't really making that big decision of small business versus large, large, large enterprise, because the way that it functioned was still very much like the small startup. Got it. And then after Salesforce, is that when you made the jump to CMO Yeah. So at Salesforce, I started in product marketing and again, like being able to touch everything, you know, a year and a half in, we were having challenges in growing in the SMB business and the head of sales went to the CMO and said, Hey, I need somebody who can kind of think across the whole business and think about what do we do to kind of rethink how Salesforce does SMB. And what I realized in that assignment was that marketing and sales weren't working well together. There was a total uh, misalignment in terms of the goals. There was like this big black box in the middle between when a lead came in and then whether we made revenue. And so I created the demand gen function to solve for that. And I grew the demand gen function and made a huge impact on the revenue. But 
I've kind of reached a wall after three years where I didn't own the website and I didn't own the event strategy and I didn't own the PR strategy. And as much as you can influence things, especially in a big company like Salesforce, which at that time was like way more people, I felt like in order to really see the fruit of my labor and the vision that I had for how we could solve the challenge to grow the business, I needed to have all the levers. And so then I started this pursuit to be a CMO. And luckily I was asked to go be the CMO for Salesforce Canada, where I got to work on a business that I already knew. And I got to work in the sort of shelter of a large company. So the risk was lower, but still take on that role to own all of the pieces, which was really cool. And that's where it's crazy, but that's where I met David Kinsell, who's the CEO of Drift. Because when I was in Canada, he was doing a roadshow to talk about what they were doing and the vision that he had. So when I was in Canada, then Salesforce decided maybe Canada wasn't that important. They didn't need a CMO of Canada. And so they offered me to come back to be like an SVP back at HQ, but I didn't want to be an SVP in a big company. I wanted to be a CMO. And so I left and went to Checker. And a year into my tenure at Checker, David Kinsell called me and he's like, well, you've been at your job for a year and maybe you want to stay there, but I've got this proposition. You should come be our CMO. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. And so then I looked at what, and I, and I honestly was like, I don't know, I'm pretty happy here. And, and he's like, just talk to my co-founder and like, let's see if we can make this work. And so I talked to co-founder and I realized I really had a good alignment with them. And in terms of what they were trying to do, I was so passionate about how sales and marketing work together that it was a great combination. And I think when you get to like really senior level, you have to look at like, are you passionate about the product? Is there a revenue opportunity for that product in terms of the available market? And, you know, you don't want to go somewhere that's just kind of stagnant, but then also like, do you believe in the leaders? And do you think that you like the product line? Like there's so many different products and things now, especially as SaaS has just taken over all over the place. When you even have API driven companies like Checker, it's hard to find the right fit of all of those sort of variables. And I think for me, Drift was really hit on all of them. That's really great. And that's such a good filter mechanism that you just laid out for how to pick a job and make sure that you're picking the right path for yourself. I really like that. Yeah. I also think, I mean, now I'm at the leadership level, but if you're not at the like executive team level and looking at like, can I work with these other executives? One of the key things is, are you signing up to work for a manager who can believe and advocate for you? Because I think one of the reasons I'm only in this role is because I did always make that decision and worked with people that helped me grow my career because it's very hard to just do that on your own. Totally. And that's great. It sounds like you've had great managers and also great connections like David to be able to connect the dots later, later down. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, people should realize that the world is really small. So if you're going to like rub someone the wrong way, like you better think twice about it. (laughs) Yeah. Relationships are everything. I I tell my team that a lot, you know, build them, make sure that they're your own and that you're really nurturing them. Now we'll pause for a quick word from our partners at Clue. Not a day goes by in sales that someone doesn't ask how your product compares. Earlier, a friend Jen dug herself out of a tight spot with Clue, the product marketer's platform for handling all things competitive. Clue helps product marketing teams collect intel from coworkers, Slack, emails, and the web, putting it all into one place that's always up to date and giving Jen the superpowers she needs when she needs them. Listen in at the end of this episode to hear how Clue empowers every team across the org with insights, something we call competitive enablement.
For any of you wondering how to put together a competitive enablement program or build battle cards that your sales teams will love, head on over to clue.com slash Mary. I think that you've talked about it a little bit too here, but just to crystallize it a little bit more, since you've had this really interesting career, that's kind of been a pendulum of going from, you know, big companies to small companies. What would you say are some of the pros and cons of each? And do you think it's important for people to have a mix of both in their careers? I mean, I think different people are different ways. Like I am a builder and creator. And so even when I was at Adobe, I had a frustrating moment where I helped to rebuild the entire InDesign business. And it was a square peg round hole situation where there was not a job description that said, hey, go connect out into the market, then go tell product how to rebuild the product, then think differently about how you're even building product, like all this stuff. But I'm like, this is what we're going to do because we put this product out in the market and within the first six months, 90% of the product was returned. And so... I went and I did that. And in the end, they're like, oh, that was awesome. But you can't get promoted because in this big company, we have these jobs and they have job descriptions and they have levels. And like, if you really want to be promoted, you have to do this other role. And I was like, this is the strangest thing I've ever experienced. And I don't want to be that person that just sits in a job description and does it every year. It kind of feels like Groundhog Day. But there are other people who love that. Like they love just being the expert of what it is they do and just every year doing it. And so I think you have to ask yourself what kind of person you are. But I really thrive on always learning and pushing the boundaries and kind of being in that uncomfortable space where you're continuing to grow yourself and grow something new. And so in a big company, I think it's hard to do that because you're kind of going against the grain. But it has high reward because you learn a lot and you touch a lot of parts of the company. I think the big thing within a big company is you have big budgets. You probably have a big team. And depending on how you want to grow your career, like what level of you know leadership you want to be in, being able to demonstrate that you led teams that have large numbers is really important. So a big company, I think, is the only place, especially in marketing, that you're going to get that. But at the same time, the downside is big teams mean that there's often lots of process, which means that things move slower. And you have to also really be an expert in that idea of managing through influence and working through larger groups of people. When you're in a smaller company, I think the roles are broader. So when you go into bigger company, it's like product marketing competitive versus, you know, this other role and it's not as broad. So you get to do a lot more and I think you get to touch a lot more. And, and so I think that is a good combination to kind of have both of them. If you can kind of do both. That's great to hear. Yeah. It's kind of like this angle of resourcing, but a little bit slower moving versus autonomy and broader skill set, but not always the impact or the resources that you need to get everything done is how I sort of think about it, but it's fun. I think my career has been similar and that I've gone back and forth between each and it's kind of different seasons of your life, different skill sets that you're growing. Sometimes you get a lot more opportunities to manage for the first time, say at a startup that you might not get at that bigger company. So making sure to look at it and, and understand what you really value and what you are really trying to make that next step, I think is really important. Yeah. And I think you hit on a really good point, which is, I think in growing my career, I've always looked at, if I take this job, what is it open for me as that next step? 
right? So if I go from Adobe to Livebooks, I'm moving from Springfire software to cloud-based software. It's still in the creative space, so I can take my expertise, but now I can say I've worked in cloud software. When I go from cloud software to enterprise cloud software, like I can go do that now. I'm saying I'm doing enterprise cloud software. So, you know, it's like, what are you going to get by going and taking that other role, even if you're moving within a company, like Salesforce is so big and Adobe was big when I was there. I mean, actually relatively no, like I left sales, I left Adobe, it was 3,500 people. Salesforce was 1,500 when I left, it was 25,000 people when I left. But just the size wise, when you're in a bigger company, you can move around a lot into like totally different departments. When you're in a startup, I think you can move around, but you have to be on a high growth startup for that. And talking about, some more tactical approaches. So one of the things that you really focused on and have mentioned is that your superpowers are really around go-to-market strategy. Can you share your approach to that for the product marketers listening and how they might think about learning from you in that really kind of difficult to grasp area? Yeah, I think go-to-market and product marketing are interesting because I think we're still stuck in this world where there's two types of product marketers. There's product marketers who just work with the product org to take the sort of output of what they've developed to describe it really well and to kind of, you know, build that messaging, build the competitive messaging and kind of hand it off to marketing, corporate marketing departments, let's say, to then like do the rest of the work. Or there's product marketers like when I was at Adobe who are like the hub of go to market and interfacing to the product org. And I think in my mind, having a product marketing background is super helpful in being a leader and, and looking at go to market, because if you don't have the right product built for the right audience, you haven't identified what that audience is. And then you're trying to market to them. Like you're kind of all like shooting in the dark in all different directions. And so that's why I think one of my superpowers is go to market because I really thrive on bringing product sales, marketing and customer service together to make sure that you can build a go-to-market strategy where we're very clear on who the audience is that we're going after, what are we building for them and why, how are we uniquely solving that problem? And then how do we build like kick-ass marketing in terms of the brand and sort of the demand gen to um, go out and demonstrate that we should you know, really own the market. That's such a great point. And I think it has to do sometimes with the maturity of the business line too. So if you're in hyper growth, often you are pushing out a ton of features, you have a ton of product launches, but if you're in more of that mature life cycle stage, you might need more of that go-to-market strategy where you're really thinking about connecting the dots. How are we packaging? How are we bundling this? How are we making sure the value props? So I've seen it related to evolution, but sometimes it just has to do with the company and the business line you're in too. So that's interesting to think of it in those two worlds. I hadn't really put it together like that. Yeah. And I think that also what I've seen in the startup world is like when you're in that sort of like pre-series A or even series A, you're kind of just kind of throw as much stuff on the wall to get it to stick so that you can really define like, where are we getting market traction? And therefore you can like build the company around that. So maybe in that phase, like product marketing needs to be more about like, here's a great feature. This is why, here's a great feature. This is why, because you're just trying to figure out like, okay, we have a hypothesis that we have a company and it's going to do these things, but like, let's test it out and then let's see what stick and let's go with it, go with it, go with it. But I think that evolves into the series B, series C timeframe where you start to really pay attention to what's working, why is it working? And then where else can it work? Mm-hmm. That's where I think you start to get into go to market of, well, we have a product, but maybe the TAM for where we're 
found our niche is like not that big. So how do we then start to think about what we need to build and how we go sell and empower and have the messages to like expand how we bring that product to market? That definitely makes sense. And I think that happens super early. And I think the companies that struggle a little bit are companies who just continue to build and throw things against the wall because then it gets really noisy and, or you end up in a situation where you have tons of unhappy customers. And in today's day and age, like the customer's voice travels so much that you can't really afford to have a high volume of unhappy customers. Definitely. So would your advice be to lean in on that go-to-market strategy as much as possible? Because it seems like it could be helpful no matter what the stage of the business you're in. Um, if you're thinking about things holistically, it seems like it's a better long-term strategy, maybe safer. I mean, I think it's a great strategy no matter what, because if you're building features, but you don't know what problem you're solving, then in inevitably you end up not being successful with those features. Like you might be lucky that somebody finds this thing and finds it valuable. But then again, as a product marketer, if you're keeping the pulse on what's working for whom, you're probably going to start to realize, oh, we thought this was for, you know, directors of demand gen. But in fact, the ops people are the people who really advocate, buy it and use it. And then, you know, you can say, oh, well, what do those people need? Then you can extend the product that way. Then you realize, oh, that's a role that goes across seven industries. And so we don't have to do specific things for an industry. And like, I think it helps you have more credibility with the product team and then probably build more success. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for that. That's certainly your superpower. I'm glad (laughs) to hear more about it. (laughs) And switching gears a little bit, I wanted to talk about, you know, being a woman in a predominantly male field. If you've had any experiences where you were the only woman in the room and how you've dealt with that over the years. Yeah. So I think it often happens that as a CMO or in product marketing or in demand gen, that you're interfacing with so many other teams that even though a marketing organization is pretty heavy, at least 50-50 on the uh, male-female ratio, that you're interfacing with teams like engineering, product, sales that are much more heavy male-dominated. And when I was at Salesforce, I was fortunate enough to be working on that SMB product that I was talking about and be in overall sales leadership meetings with Hillary Coppolo McAdams. And she was leading like all of sales for Salesforce, which the sales organization is so heavily male. And I saw that what she did is that she wasn't flustered by it. And she held people accountable. And then she also knew to ask detailed questions versus staying sort of at the high level fluff level where it's easy for people to kind of give the answer that they're doing well, when in fact they're hiding that 90% of what's happening is not. And so I think the key thing is to have confidence and to realize that you're the smart person in the room, especially if you've been hired into your role and to just move forward and ask the smart questions to build that credibility and to have that leadership. Thank you. That was so great. And I'll have to look her up. I'm I'm not familiar with her, but that sounds pretty badass. (laughs) Yeah. She, she led sales at Salesforce. Then she went to New Relic and led sales at New Relic. And then she went and is working as a VC now. That's amazing. All right. Well, we'll check her out for sure. Mm -hmm. And now I can't believe it, but we're already at our rapid fire questions. Just a few more and we'll be on our way. So first rapid fire question is, what is one thing that has been the most important in growing your career? 
I think it's back to that point I made about really looking around the corner. Like I said, if I do this job, what do I have to do really well to prove that I've taken on that skill and to, you know, get the buy-in from my leadership, but two, like what skills is it giving me that I can parlay into my next job? That's amazing. The another, the next rung on the jungle gym, as you were talking. Exactly. About. Yeah. Perfect. How do you network? And let's, let's maybe make this in a virtual context since we're all at home now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think my approach to networking is um, one, it kind of needs to be a two-way value stream. So it's not, Hey, I want to meet you. What can you give me? But it's a lot of like doing things with other people as well to help them. And so I found that that's really, really helpful to build your network in that like someone may say, Oh, you're amazing at demand gen. I have a solid product marketing background and now I'm going to be a CMO. Like, can you help me understand like three things I might need to think about as a CMO in the demand gen area versus where I came from product marketing. And I find that every time I do that with somebody, it just builds that relationship. And then in a way ends up paying off and I end up meeting other people that they introduce me to. The other thing is that I attend small events where there's like, like-minded titles and people so that I can learn from those people. And then, you know, just reach out and talk to them about what we learned at a session or something like that. Those are both really great pieces of advice and actually fresh to this podcast. So thank you so much for sharing. (laughs) And what's one thing that you wish you had learned earlier in your career? I think the whole idea of bringing along a group of people versus like being awesome and trying to just get shit done yourself. I I eventually learned it and learn like how much more impact you can have. And I think in today's day and age, the emotional component of working with others kind of stems from that too. I think all of these things are, if you don't pay attention to them and almost make them the number one thing from what you're doing, then like your career growth will be harder and maybe even getting something that's world-class done will be harder. So delegate, trust your team, bring everyone up together. That is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and you talked a little bit about LinkedIn, but the last question, how can people get in touch with you if they want to hear more? Yeah, I think LinkedIn is great. Twitter is good too, but I would definitely spend more time in LinkedIn and I'm trying to use it as a platform to talk about the future of marketing. I have a podcast, I have a newsletter, I promote both of them and the ideas of them in my LinkedIn. And then now more this whole concept of, you know, what it's like to be a leader and a, and a woman. And can you share the name of your podcast so people can check that out as well? Yeah, it's called CMO Conversations. And what I do is I interview other CMOs to talk about sort of the changes and transitions in the market in terms of being a CMO and then also sort of their superpowers and what it takes to be a CMO. Because like product marketing, the CMO role is continuing to evolve in terms of what the expectation is. That's amazing. Well, we'll definitely check that out. And thank you so much for your time today. And I wanted to just say congratulations on the new baby girl. Thanks for spending one of your first hours back to work in the professional world with women in product marketing. We really appreciate it. And thanks so much for your really valuable insights. No problem. It's great. And I'm really passionate about the importance of product marketing. I'm so happy to see in the past five years that the world has woken up and recognized that product marketing really is super important in a company. And I also think that it's a great breeding ground for future CMOs. Me too. Well, thanks so much, Trisha. It was such a pleasure having you on. Thanks. Bye. Salespeople want short, digestible insights. They don't want 17-page decks that are scattered across the web and who knows where. 
Clue makes it easy to create and deliver battle cards. In a pinch, sales teams can find them easily with all the insights they need on how to handle their competitors while working a deal. And with Clue, it's not just sales teams who want battle cards. The product team, customer success, and marketing, they all compete too. Now, everyone can compete to win. And that wraps up another episode of Women in Product Marketing. For all of you wondering how to put together a competitive enablement program or build battle cards that your sales team will actually love, head on over to clue.com slash Mary. That's K-L-U-E dot com slash Mary and tell them that I sent you. They'll set you up with some free resources like their recent guide to competitive intelligence. Be sure to subscribe and share Women in Product Marketing with someone you think will love it. Next week, I have the pleasure of meeting with Diana Smith, the Director of Product Marketing and Brand at Twilio.org. Thank you as always for your support and looking forward to catching up next week.